And I'm excited for this opportunity this morning to speak to you all. Um, and yesterday, I must admit, I was preparing for this sermon and I wanted to go to the library to get some peace and quiet. And I didn't know it, but it was library con uh, yesterday. So I had to uh, endure grown men dressed up as superheroes and uh, the Ghostbusters. They were a little distracting, but uh, I, met, I ran into Bill at the library and right there in the library. Um, we prayed, and it was very special. So I've been waiting for this opportunity for quite a while. So if you have your Bibles, can you please turn to uh, Matthew chapter 13? We're going to go verses 3 through 9 today. But first, I want to talk a little bit about my family. One of the things we like to do is we like to play a lot of board games in our family. And one of the games that's heavy in the rotation is the game of Clue. Does anyone here like the game of Clue? Well, for those of you who may be unfamiliar, the whole point of the game is to figure out uh, a murder mystery by a process of elimination. And you do this by guessing the place that the crime was committed, uh, the weapon that was used, and then lastly, the person who committed the crime. And so, some of you may remember the board, how it's laid out. Uh, you have the kitchen, okay? You have the room, such as the library, the conservatory, and then you have the weapons, okay? The lead pipe. You got the candlestick, and you have the rope. Very kid-friendly game. Uh, very very fam- family, family-friendly game. And uh, lastly, I think the most uh, memorable are the characters of Clue, okay? I always have to be Colonel Mustard, Okay, the yellow piece. You have Professor Plum, who's the purple piece. Mrs. White is the white piece, and Miss Scarlet is the red piece, and the list goes on. Well, as the game progresses and people make their guesses, you can narrow down who the subject is. Um, and if you're playing with Liam, uh, you know right off the bat who's he, who he's holding because he guesses the people that he's holding in his hand every time over and over again, so, so you can get three uh, guesses scratched off right off the bat. Um, but once enough time goes by, enough guesses are made, you've pretty much narrowed down who the subject is. And in the same way uh, that, that we respond to clues, Jesus had a way of explaining the kingdom of God by giving us certain clues. Now, these clues about the kingdom were spoken in parables, Now, parables were just little ways of explaining uh, ordinary, everyday events, uh, truths, by uh, categories usually in agriculture. Okay, you have the parable of the mustard seed, you have the parable of the tares among the wheat, and you have the parable of the sower, which is what we're going to talk about today. And, uh, you know, people in an agrarian society would have known uh, these parables and what they meant to everyday people. Um, and as I think you find as we go through these clues in the explanation of the parable, that they have a way of flushing out and exposing, narrowing down the condition of our own hearts as we respond to the Word of God. So much like the game of Clue, the Word of God has a way of narrowing down and pegging us in whatever condition we may find ourselves. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 says this, that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both the joints and marrow and is actually able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we see that God's word to us today is just as applicable as when it was written. God's word cuts deep and it even discerns the thoughts and intentions of our own hearts. And today as we work through this parable, um, if you want to take away anything uh, from this sermon, it would be this, that when we hear the word of God, that we would respond by being fruit bearers of the kingdom. Again, when we hear the word of God, it is our goal that, that today that we would respond by being fruit bearers of the kingdom. So let's get to our verse today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to go through verses 3 through 9. Would you stand as we read uh, this parable? Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we pray that we would, uh, you would give us ears today to, to hear your word, and we would understand it, Lord. Father God, I pray that we would be fruit bearers for your kingdom. Would you work uh, in our hearts as only you can by your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the first soil is one I like to call hardened hearts and the reality of evil. The first seed that we will cover today has to do with the seed that falls along the path. Um, Look with me in verse 4. It says, that some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. So we see here the first seed doesn't even make it to the soil before it gets snatched up by the birds. Now, what could this mean? We have some seed, okay, and we have a bird. What could Jesus possibly be trying to explain about the kingdom of God here? What could he be portraying by this scene? Fortunately, Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark uh, as far as what this could mean. He actually explains it later in this chapter. Turn with me, if you will, to verse 19. He says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. So we see here that the seed is the word of God. And the bird is the evil one, Satan, who snatches away the seed. This verse is speaking of a reality that may be invisible to some of us. You see, whether you believe it or not, we as Christians are in a spiritual battle against an enemy. And in fact, would you believe that fewer than one out of every Uh, one out of every ten professing born-again Christians actually has a biblical worldview. Uh, George Barna, out of Barna Research, polled uh, professing born-again Christians, and he found that 
Um, among that 9% of Christians that have a biblical worldview, only 27, around a quarter uh, of the people who profess to be Christians believe that Satan is real. And then ab- among the, the Christians that profess to be born-again Christians, less than half believed that Satan exists. And church, if that is the case, then the word of God today is easy picking for the enemy. We can hear the word and we can not understand it and boom, it's gone just like it's never entered the picture. You see, Satan doesn't want the word of God to produce fruit. And in fact, Jesus pictures Satan as one who devours the word And it's Satan's goal to prevent the word from even being planted in the first place. There are some other verses in scriptures where uh, Satan is portrayed as this devourer. Uh, Some of the men in our church were doing a, uh, a study in Peter's first epistle. And I want you to listen to what Peter has to say about the reality of this evil one. He says in 1 Peter 5, 8, that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the reality is that there is such thing as evil, and there is an invisible spiritual battle going on that you and I are a part of, and we need to be aware of this reality. I mean, just look around you. Listen to the news. I think we can all agree that evil exists. And I think it's easy for us to point at the latest mass shooting or, or crime that was committed and say, yeah, you know, that was evil. But Jesus is pointing to another reality that may be going on in our own hearts, and that being that they are hardened. And that as, as, uh, as human beings, we have a predisposition against the Word of God. And not only that, um, not only do we have a bent that... that it, turns us away from the word of God, but we also have to fight against this enemy who makes his word being fruitful that much harder. And so how do we respond to the word of God? Uh, the rest of the soils in our parable today have to do with ways in, you, ways in which you and I respond to the word. And the first one is the seed that falls among the rocky places. And I call this seed shallow Christianity and the call to endure. Look with me in in verse 5 as we read that others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. So this time we actually see that the seed makes it into the ground. But but there's a problem. The soil is, is rocky. So even though the seed takes root and springs up rather quickly, what what happened? It was scorched by the sun because it had no root. And I found a lot of truth to this uh, parable in the explanation. In our backyard, we have a a do-it-yourself mud pit under our trampoline. Um, This this past fall, uh, I didn't rake the leaves that were gathered under the trampoline, and when springtime came for the grass to pop up, it killed all the grass under the trampoline. So now, every time it rains, we have a nice mud pit for the kids to play in, in our backyard. Well, we get kind of tired of hosing off the kids from the mud every time they go outside, so I was going to plant some grass uh, in that spot. And I went to Nixa Hardware, and they had a wide variety of grass seed. 
And um, I asked the person, you know, what, what kind of seed is best? And he was just like, oh, I'll sell you some seed, but you don't want to plant grass right now. And I'm like, well, why not? Can I not just put some straw down? He's like, he's like, yeah, you can do it. It'll come up, but it's so hot right now that the sun, it's just going to scorch the grass when it, when it comes up. And immediately I thought of this, this parable. So um, what do we see here uh, that, that, that God is trying to tell us? What's he referencing in this instance? And we can turn to verse 20 for the answer. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So this verse explains the reality of what I call shallow Christianity. You see, the word was received with joy, but it didn't have any depth. Okay, it was an emotional reaction that that didn't last. And how many of us uh, as believers go from experience to experience? Maybe maybe we conference hop, or maybe we are new to Christ, and we're experiencing this spiritual high, only to see it uh, go down in the days following, the months following. The emotions are high, they're ramped up, the experience is great, but there's just no way to maintain that level of a 10 the whole time. Now, I'm not uh, saying anything against conferences. Um, I've attended conferences and, and been encouraged in my faith. But if we're just bouncing around from experience to experience trying to maintain a level of excitement and enthusiasm, then it demonstrates that our joy may not be founded on, on Jesus, but, but, our, but our emotions. And a faith that's dependent on these spiritual highs cannot be sustained when we encounter trials. And the reality is that uh, we, we live in a fallen world. And we're all going to go through trials. Especially as believers, they are, they're guaranteed. Uh, take, for instance, these words from Jesus' own mouth in John chapter 16, verses 33. He says, In this world... You will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So you heard it straight from the mouth of Jesus that we will have trouble. Or how about from the words of Paul, for instance? Let's read about his uh, missionary journeys as, as we read in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 4 through 28. He says that five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He's not talking about medical marijuana there. Uh, Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. And I've been on frequent journeys. In dangers from rivers. Dangers from robbers. Dangers from my countrymen. Dangers from the Gentiles. Dangers from the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers on the sea. And dangers among the false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me for concern of all the churches. So is Paul living his best life now? Um, 
was he following the seven steps of highly effective people for ministry success? I think we could all look at the lives of these men and women who follow Christ and see that their life is marked with trials and sufferings. I think we could look at the life of Paul and see that according to modern church growth strategies that he wasn't doing it right. And we could see that his ministry today would have been looked at as a failure. But what I want us to see here is that there is a call to endure the Christian life. And over and over again, believers are called to endure much like a race. Last week, uh, Mickey Hardy and Jason Hibbert and I, we had a brilliant idea to go hiking uh, a 16-mile loop in the middle of a heat advisory. Um, We did the Big Piney Loop southeast of Lebanon, and it was miserable. And every step of the way, I wanted to quit. So the first day, we hiked in nine miles, and I had developed a blister about the size of a half dollar on my foot. And we were in halfway, we camped, and there wasn't anybody coming to pick us up. We had to hike back out seven miles the next day. And uh, we didn't want to be the one who wanted to quit, so we were pushing each other. But it kind of reminded me of the the Christian life. Sometimes we, we feel like quitting, but there's a call to endure, and there's, there's a blessed hope for those who endure on, at the end of our journey. And I was just thinking of getting to the car the whole time. <laughs> uh, there's some verses that, that talk about those who endure trials. James writes in James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he receives the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Again, James in 1, uh, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And lastly, Matthew 20, verse 13 talks about endurance. He says, the one who endures to the end, that's the person who will be saved. He doesn't get scorched and withered by the sun. So you see, we have to keep going despite the temptation to quit. And we have to be rooted and established in Christ. And the promise is for those who endure, they will receive a crown of life. Salvation comes to those who endure. Well, there are a couple things that that can keep us from inheriting this crown of life. Which brings us to our next soil, which I call deceitfulness of riches and the worries of the world. Uh, turn with me in verse 7. But when the sun had risen, they were... Oh, uh, verse 7. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So, so much like the rocky soil, the seed this time is able to take root again. But there's a problem that causes the seed to become unfruitful. And the text described this as thorns, which choke out the word and make it unfruitful. Look with me at verse 22 as we receive the explanation. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. 
So we see that our own worries and our own concerns for acquiring wealth can actually make the word of God unfruitful. This verse describes them as worries of the world. Let me ask you, what, what are you, things that we worry about today? Do we worry about having enough uh, money to buy food? Where our next meal is going to come from? Do we worry about the roof that's over our head? Where we're going to sleep at night? Do we worry about the clothes that we wear? Whether or not we're in style or not? Or, or lastly, do we worry about having enough money to, to pay our next bills? Some of us may have been in circumstances to where we don't know where it's going to come from. These, these are classified as worries of the world. And if we're not careful, these things that we worry about can actually take over and they can choke out the word of God. And all throughout the scriptures, we're commanded specifically not to worry about these things. Earlier in Matthew chapter 6, verses 33, we see Jesus telling us, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what would we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows uh, that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we as Gentiles, we almost have this predisposition to worry about these things. And when we do so, it exposes and demonstrates our lack of faith in God to take care of us. And being overtaken by the worries of life reveal our doubts uh, concerning God's ability to care for his own. But notice where Jesus puts these things in the pecking order. What does he say to do first? He tells us that first we must seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And only then will these things that we worry about be added to us. You see, the problem is not that we lack these things, I think we could all say that, you know, we, we don't really worry about where our next meal is going to come from, and, and we have plenty of clothes to wear. Uh, we, we have a roof over our heads. We have all these things, but the problem is that we still worry about all these things, and when we do that, we aren't seeking God's kingdom, and that should come first and foremost. Let me ask you, what is it in your life today that, that you need to trust God with? about trusting God to provide for your physical needs. Look with me at verse 26 as he talks about the birds of the air. He says that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? So we too can trust God to provide us for our food, our homes, and our clothing. And in the grand scheme of things, we don't really have to worry about them. And they aren't really as important as the emphasis that we may place on them. In addition to our physical needs, God provides for our spiritual needs. And I love this verse, Ephesians 1.3. He says that uh, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I can't get over this verse that explains that in Christ, we have all that we need. And our job is simply to seek him and his righteousness and his kingdom. And when we find our dependency and our identity in him, then he will provide for our needs because he loves us and he cares for us. Some of you may say, well, well what a, I, worry still remains. Philippians 4, 6 give us, gives us a remedy for this worry and anxiety. And 
When I received a Bible, this was the very first thing that I highlighted in my Bible. It says, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in your heart, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have a promise that when we seek Christ through prayer, when we allow God to shoulder the burden that that many of us are carrying around, that he'll give us his peace and he will renew our hearts and our minds. That brings us to our last soil today. It's it's the good soil. You read with me in verse 8. He says, Others fell on on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So now we have a seed that actually makes it to the ground, makes it to the soil, and, and produces a fruit. And then we can read the explanation of this soil in, in verse 23. The one on whom the seed was sown on good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The idea here is that those who understand the word, those who hear the word and obey that word, they produce multiples of fruit over and over. We talked about today that the, the message of the gospel during our prayer time, Gary mentioned that it's a message that's heard. And for others to enter the kingdom, they too must hear it. And for that to take place, we must tell them the gospel. If I were to ask you what type of soil that you identify with, what, what soil does God's word peg you at today, what, what would you say? Or if I were to ask you what soil is ideal, I think we could all answer the obvious Sunday school answer, that it's the good soil. We want to be the soil that's able to hear the word and understand it and produce fruit. Um, Today during our invitation time and as we, as we reflect on God's word as, as Gary comes up, I want us to think about which soil that we're in. Are we deaf to the word of God? Uh, do we actually let the word of God penetrate our hearts? Or are we so hardened that Satan comes and devours it before it even has a chance to take root? Um, or are we identifying as the rocky soil or are we, are we new in our Christian walk, but do we lack the faith and depth of maturity that's shown by an ongoing dependence on Christ as we endure trials and temptations? Or do the daily worries of the world, the things that keep us up at night, do they prove to choke out the word and make it unfruitful? Or lastly, are, are we dialed in or are we making an effort to be being disciplined? Uh, to be in the Word of God regularly? Uh, are we regularly putting uh, His Word into practice? Are we seeing this multiplication of fruit over and over in lives uh, in our result? Whatever the case, I want us to go before the Lord now and speak to Him. And if you're here today with uh, every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never heard the gospel of Christ, if you've never had a chance an opportunity to respond, I want to invite you today that you can do that right where you sit. If you're here today, you can pray a simple prayer like this. You can say, Lord, I know that I've sinned. 
And I know that my sin separates me from you, Lord. But, but I believe that, that Jesus came and died and he was buried and, and he rose again so that I could receive forgiveness of my sins and I can have eternal life with you, Lord. I pray that you would forgive my sins. I trust Christ for, for, for the forgiveness of my sins and, and eternal life that's, that's mine based on his performance and not my own. Lord, come into my life and show me how to live. If you're here today um, and you identify with the uh, soil that's rocky, would you go before him? Would you express to him that your need for maturity in your life to, to endure whatever trial that you're going through? If you're here today and you're worried about where your next meal is going to come from, uh, anything else that may be going on in your life, would you take that worry before the Lord? Will you experience God's peace that's offered? Lord God, today, we're so thankful of, of your word that reminds us that, that we're to hear your word and we're to respond by being fruit bearers of your kingdom. May you enter into our lives and do that for each one of us today as, as we trust in 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 you to work through our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.